Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 61, Vexed. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And we are continuing this week with featuring some of our favorite episodes to discuss more in detail. And this week we are talking about Vexed, which is a pick that Annie chose. Was it me? It was. Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought it was like the other two of you, but I think it doesn't matter because most people love that episode. So, yeah. I was going to say, let's be honest, one of us would have chosen it. If the others hadn't. Yes, yeah, right? but Annie put it on yeah. the list first, so I'm giving I'm giving it to Annie. <laughs> That's fair. Huh, I wonder why. Would it be some certain scene? <laughs> you know, with a song called Mad Men, I don't know. Really? It's, it's not the one with the song called Sour Cherry? That was my guess, that that was why you liked it. Actually, I really do like that scene, and I'll get See? into it. But. See, it's just a, it's, it's a good <laughs> contrast. Yeah, it's it's got it's got good stuff in this episode. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I guess since we all agree that this is one of our of our favorites, we can we can all talk about reasons why we we like it. And and yeah, it's just it's a really good solid episode. You got good relationship got dynamics going on. You got a very colorful, bold villain in in Vex, and it's very resonant of a lot of the like big themes of the show and it's just a really well-made episode i concur and it was directed by john fawcett who orphan black Black fans (laughs) know co-created orphan black so yes also xena fans know from way back when he's done some of those some of the most visually stunning episodes so for years and years before he even did orphan black i'm always like i want him to direct the movie he does have a really excellent visual style he's really good with special effects yeah and I really loved when I saw his name associated with Lost Girl. So I was very happy about that. The drink special for this episode, I kind of made up. Because Chris was suggesting that a good drink special for this would be a drink called a sour cherry or something of that ilk. And I didn't find anything directly named that when I did a quick Google search. But I decided it'd be kind of easy to do a basically a sour drink using cherry brandy instead of like amaretto or whiskey. So that is the drink special for this episode. So it involves cherry brandy, simple syrup, and lemon juice. Shake it all together, pour it over some rocks glasses. I think it turned out pretty good, but I might do some tweaking on the proportions. And then as far as spoilers are concerned for this episode, we are talking about primarily Vexed. However, we are talking about it not just within the context of this episode, so there could be spoilers up through the end of season four, though we will mostly talk about just this episode and the first season. So as we've mentioned several times, even though this episode falls as episode eight, when you watch the the series sequentially, this was the pilot episode of the show. So this was the episode that they made first, and they shopped around to networks saying, here's the show we want to make. It is kind of an interesting choice for the pilot, because it drops you right in the middle of everything. But I think it still would have worked as a first episode, but it, you, it wouldn't have been quite as clear some of the aspects of the world. There's not a whole lot of world building in this episode. It's a lot smaller scale than we see in the first episode. And it's kind of interesting because I was trying to decide, how do you talk about this episode? Because you can talk about it as a pilot episode, how it would have worked. But you can also talk about it in where it ultimately was placed in the series. So I think we're probably going to do a combination of both of those things <laughs> as we talk about this this episode. I guess let's start a little bit about some of the like pilot inconsistencies that you can see in this one. And for me, the big thing I immediately noticed was that Bo's hair and makeup is really different in most of this episode. See, I don't pay attention to that. I'm like, whatever, Darkvis scene. The fact that you asked that question at Comic Palooza to uh, Zoe and Chris, uh, Stephanie, and, you know, I didn't realize it was you until later asking that question. You're like, that really bugged me. And I'm all, eh, I never noticed that. But, you know, that's just me. I have noticed it now that I've gone back and looked for it. It is, like, really, really noticeable to me. And it is one of those things, too, because. Actually, Stephanie and I were talking about this before we recorded, but it seems like as the season has progressed, or the seasons, as the seasons have progressed, 
they've just added more and more eye makeup to Anna Silk. More than in season two with smoky eye galore? Season four was crazy. Yeah, Annie. season four she had oh. crazy eye makeup. But yeah, you look at her here and there's very minimal eye makeup. Not that I'm opposed to some, but they, yeah, they just seem to be adding more and more and more as the seasons go on. I mean, I really, I, I really don't mind it for through the rest of season one. It's not too bad, but yeah, it's really, really minimal in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I like it. And, and they don't get too crazy with her hair until the very end of the episode where she goes to battle. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like battle hair. I don't know. <laughs> well, sorry. On the show Farscape, like for the character of Aaron Soon, the actress Claudia Black used to refer to it as the battle pony ponytail. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for the majority of this episode, Bo's hair is down. It's not half pulled up the way that it is the majority of the time for the rest of the series. And to me, that just makes Anna Silk look way more like Mary Louise Parker. <laughs> like... <laughs> I when I when I watched this episode the first time, I was like, why does she all of a sudden look exactly like Mary Louise Parker? I hadn't really noticed it before, but I feel like she really does in this episode. <laughs> it's funny though that you mentioned that because there was I think it was the promos on Sci Fi Channel for season four. My dad saw one and he was like it's like, Is that Mary Louise Parker? <laughs> <laughs> no dad. It's the lead actress of The Lost Girl. Her name is Anna Silk. <laughs> and then he just kinda shrugs. <laughs> But but I guess this is tangentially related because Annie mentioned that I asked this question at Comic Palooza because I asked Chris and Zoe about the obvious differences in the scenes with Lauren because Anna Silk's hair is a lot longer. In those scenes, it tends to be more like Bo's usual hair subsequently. So she's got the, the t- sort of the, the front part of her hair pulled back and she's not quite as tan as she is in, in this episode. And I was like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> just the tangent's and making me like, laugh. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed Lauren's straight hair. That's it. Because, you know. Because Lauren. <sighs> and he's like, if her face wasn't on her face, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> true facts. True facts. So I noticed that, you know, it was just very different. And it really looked like those scenes were filmed much later than the rest of the the scenes. And they did confirm that. They said, yes, you're right. But there have been conflicting reasons as to potentially why. Because Chris, and that time, Chris said that the reason those scenes, scenes were reshot was because there was a problem with the film. They didn't look good, so they had to be reshot. But then, at Dragon Con last year, in one of the panels, Paul Amos and Casey Collins mentioned that there was actually another actress who was originally cast as Lauren. And there is a press release online that we found that seems to confirm that it was maybe originally meant to be played by an actress named Sarah Allen. So it could be the problem with the film was that there was a completely different actress on it. But (laughs) (laughs) thank God they recast. I know. Thank goodness. Right. That we got Zoe because, you know, we we all the three of us, if you might not know, are big fans of Zoe Palmer. But my my point, my point for bringing up the what I mentioned at Comic Palooza was that because those scenes were shot later, the ones with Lauren, there's actually a big hair boo boo <laughs> in the in the episode where in the scene after Bo and Lauren have slept together and they have their fight, you know, Bo storms out and she goes to Meyer. It cuts to her going to Meyer and her hair is different. So as she storms in, as she storms in, so as she storms out, it looks one way. As she storms in, it looks another way. So there's there's Annie hair going inconsistencies like going. What I never noticed in her anger, she she undid exactly. her fancy hairdo yes. and yeah. tr- trimmed her hair off with her thigh Rip, knife. Probably. Ripped it out as she was driving down the road in her, you know, blue no yellow car beast. Yeah. So there's Bo's hair inconsistencies, and then there's there's Kenzie. Who suddenly has long, blonde, curly, or wavyish hair. And it's not a wig. I saw some people online saying that, oh, there's a crazy blonde wig in this episode. That was actually Ksenia's hair. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I always thought that was one of Kenzie's wig, like within the story. I didn't know that it was works Ksenia's because hair. of the fact that Kenzie wears wigs. But if you if you look, you can see that she's that she's got brown roots and you can do that with a wig because they do that with Helena. But usually if you're just wearing a wig to wear a wig, you wouldn't. I should, Sorry. They do that with Helena and Orphan Black. They they give her the, the illusion of having brown reference, roots. Reference. Yeah. <laughs> but 
In Kenzie's case, she's just wearing wigs to wear wigs, so I doubt she would wear one with her roots showing. You know what I mean? So that was actually Ksenia's hair when they shot the pilot. Right, which, I mean, is one of those things, once you become, like, a really hardcore Lost Girl fan, you find out eventually. Because, you know, like in my case, I think I saw a picture of Ksenia Solo from whatever thing she'd worked on before this, and her hair looked exactly the same as it does in this episode. So I went, oh, I see now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the first time you watch it, it's like, oh, it's just another one of Kenzie's wigs. One more note about Kenzie in addition to having the hair that we never see again, in this episode, she's dressed a lot more street urchin than she is in any other episode. A lot less goth. She's not really goth at all in this episode. She's a lot more street urchin Well, yeah, I think, isn't she wearing kind of like more grays and just her clothes look a little more tattered? Yeah, know? and, not and so. hoodies. Yeah, and yeah. No corsets that I remember. I don't think she wears a single item of black clothing on the top half of her. I think it's all grays mm-hmm. or yeah, like grays. Yeah. Which is weird. It's really weird. It is. It's very and she, weird. She looks more like a, you know, a teenager or something. Yeah. In sort of looser, casual clothing. It's weird. So I think those are the two big hair makeup differences that you see in this episode is Bo and Kenzie. We there's a lot of other little things that are different in this episode. And that we don't really see the same way subsequently. Uh, one of the ones happens in one of the first scenes. So let's talk about this fantastic opening sequence that we get at the beginning of the episode, which apparently was like a happy accident. They hadn't necessarily planned to do that beautiful shot of Bo and the elevator walking down the hallway until they got to the location. And they realized that they had those things and that they would look fantastic. I don't know if it was Jay Firestone or John Fawcett who said, oh, this is a great hallway. We should use it. You know, it was really dark and atmospheric. And so that's how the shot happened. I think the story was that Jay Firestone said that John Fawcett saw the location and saw that great hallway and was like, this is fantastic. Can we use this? Right. Yeah. Again, he's got a really good eye as a director. Don't have to tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's absolutely great the way that this episode begins. I feel like it really catches your attention just immediately, which would have been a really great aspect of it had it been the first episode of the series. I think it's very eye-catching, even more so than the first few minutes of the first episode. That When I was re-watching it this time, actually, the, the thing that really caught my eye is the shot of Bo in the elevator as she's riding up. It's interesting to me that, you know, she's going up, the camera's panning downward, and it's a shot that's usually a very sexualized shot, like trying to really sexualize the person that it's that it's filming. But that's not really the case here. I feel like they're actually kind of subverting that usual camera move because of the fact that A, Bo's really shadowed, and so it's not really about showing the assets of, that her body might have, but it's, it's really showcasing her as like a warrior who's just come out of battle with all of the blood dripping. Right, because it really, the the path of the camera sort of follows the blood that's dripping onto the floor. Right. But I think it's a really fantastic first shot of Bo, had it been like the first shot we'd seen of her, period. But it leads to her walking down that, you know, beautifully lit hallway, and we get these this intercutting between Bo walking down the hallway and Dyson punching his punching bag. And I hadn't really noticed it before, but Bo kind of is, you know, because she cringes occasionally as she's walking down the hallway. And those cringes actually kind of correspond to how Dyson is punching the punching bag. Hmm. Hmm. No, I love that scene in that, yeah, it's it's not about the sexuality. It's just about this, as you say, wounded. Well, it is. Well, it is, but it's it's very mysterious. And you notice, I tend to notice the blood first more than anything. Which is just, as you say, a really cool shot. And you wonder what's up with this character because, you know, they're obviously not in top form. But, uh, yeah. And just with the beats of the music and with the way everything is cut, it's done really well. Yeah, the song that is playing is, of course, Sour Cherry by The Kills. And when we polled people about some of their favorite music moments on the show, this was one that was mentioned by a ton of people. Another one Mm -hmm. is coming up later on in the episode. And it's just a really great, really great song. This is one that I knew before I saw the series, and I thought it's used so well in this sequence of both introducing Bo and Dyson, or not introducing, but, you know, seeing Bo and Dyson interact and and on top of their really 
rambunctious. I don't know. What's a good word for the type of sex that they have here? I always say it's very, very feral. There you go. Very feral type of sex that they have here. But it's interesting to me that Dyson is, like, kind of vulnerable, too, throughout this sequence. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a scene where, yeah, I mean, Dyson literally is used for healing, and Bo doesn't seem to give consequence to much of his feelings. I mean, if you look at the sequence in relation to what had previously gone on in the series, if you place it with, you know, just as episode eight and you watch it within that sequence and the history that had gone on between them. So that gives more weight to the line, you know, seriously. And he goes, he says later, Bo, you know, I mean it, this was the last time. And you do feel kind of like bad for him because, you know, you're like, what else is this except healing sex buddy partnership, you know, at this point. And it's so weird watching this scene and the scene later, for me, because at this point in in my fandom experience, like I have some experience with the actors. And so, you know, them talking about filming all the stuff. And so I'm always thinking about that during the scenes because I can't help it. Yeah. And so... I mean, I don't mean to so, laugh, you know, but the stories Chris tells are pretty funny. I'm sure they weren't well, I know, shooting it. Yeah. And so you're just watching these scenes and you're like, you know, I'm really glad that these actors are so comfortable with each other. <laughs> yeah, at this point in the show. And, you know, I, as Chris says, I could just, I'm watching that scene now and all I think is all of Video Village watching his <laughs> bare bum. Yeah, we get 200% more bums, or I guess 100% more bums in this this episode than you do in the first episode. There's a lot of near nudity in this one. Yeah. 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 Which again, the whole time I'm thinking, it's a really good thing they're so comfortable with each other. Because they're really naked. We see Dyson's <laughs> bum. But then you, it's actually, I didn't notice it for a couple of watches because it's kind of shadowed. But you can see the top of Bo's bum as well. Right. Right. So, yeah. you know. There's like side bum and there's like... Top bum. Yeah. Is there yeah. side boob as well? I think there is. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's yeah, lots a of couple side times. Boob. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that this is about as near naked as you can get on. I don't know if showcase compares to basic cable, you know, in Canada and the U.S. And it's pretty, you know, explicit. And you know, I don't know if the show is quote unquote toned down a little bit, but you know, again, it's kind of like the first major sex scene you're really going all out and you're feeling everything out haha <laughs> literally for the show and <laughs> sorry that was bad yeah i don't know it's it's just it's a really well filmed but really wow just kind of almost took me back the first few times i saw it going wow that's really all out there haha <laughs> but, but it's hot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a succinct way of putting it yeah thanks annie it's hot yeah and the, and the fact that it begins with this is part of the reason why it it probably made a really good pilot is that, you know, this is stuff that networks would be anxious to see is going to be in your show. And, mm -hmm. you know, not only is it really well filmed and choreographed and, and, you know, hot, as Chris said, but it's like in the first <laughs> few minutes, you know, it's just yeah. really in your face sexuality. And I just think like the chemistry between Chris Holden Reed and Anna Silk is so awesome. Again, it's like choreographed and filmed so well. And yeah, it's it's a really fantastic opening sequence. Even if you're not a Dyson Bow shipper like Annie. Exactly. I think yeah. you can still appreciate <laughs> the sequence. <laughs> but like I mentioned, we see Dyson, even though this is a fairly kind of, I don't know, Dyson trying to be kind of machismo wolf guy in this sequence. We actually see him get to be- I was going to say stoic, but yeah, okay. We get to see him be fairly vulnerable, especially when at the very end when we can see that Bo is healing, which is interesting in this one because, okay, there's no chi transfer between the two of them, and her eyes go black mm -hmm. when, when, when they're having sex. And so I feel like this is one of those little pilot inconsistencies where they hadn't quite decided definitely, definitively on the special effects for her. So we never see that again, I'm pretty sure, where her eyes go black as she heals. Yeah, it took me a few watches to to get that. Yeah, that was just my surmising going, well, why don't we make it a little more apparent and do something cool and make it blue instead? So, you know, when it came to the special effects. Which I'm glad they did. I am too. It seems like a lot of shows do the black eyeballs. Yes. Like, yes. That's not so new. Yeah. Yeah. Not so different. The blue is different. Yeah. And I like it. And that she transfers well to, to really right. signal, yes, something is happening. And I, and we talked about it when we were talking about it's a fey, 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 fey world. 
that's the first hint you get that this is a really supernatural show when you see Bo suck the chi out of creepy guy in the elevator. Yeah. And we also see how much the fact that Bo is using Dyson to heal really hurts him. Like, he's mm-hmm. seems to be really, you know, this is taking a lot out of him. And so I, whenever people start talking about how, you know, Bo needs to end up with a fae because they they can sustain her healing while humans cannot, I'm like, Ugh! Not, but you know, not just one Fey though. Like D- Dyson gets really put through the ringer, being used as Bo's regular healing, you know, sex buddy. And you really see right. it. It's here. like they can handle it better, but not completely either. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you see how much it it really seems to hurt him physically, and then afterward, you get this sense of how much it's really affecting him emotionally. I that's actually one of my favorite shots of Dyson where the camera comes it starts on Bo and then it comes up and it, it captures Dyson's face with Bo in the background right as she's waking up and he just looks like so just kind of emotionally defeated by the fact that this is all she's using him for right now. Mm-hmm. Ah, the angst. I know. He's so angsty. So angsty. <laughs> is he brutuitous yet, Chris? <laughs> I'd say not until season two. Okay, I, agree. I think the brutuitousness really happens in season two. I yes, agree. I agree. I feel like he's appropriately broody here. Yes, <laughs> not gratuitously. Yes. I think so. there's, there's just cause for the the broodiness. Yeah. We we switch from from this sequence here in the bedroom to meeting Kenzie, and I was I really was struck by watching it this time. How comparing it to the first episode, this episode's way more bow centric. Like, there are very few scenes that don't have Bo in them, and a lot of the, the supporting characters don't get the kind of development that they really do in the, in the first episode. So with Kenzie, we get the sense that, you know, she's, she's Bo's buddy, but we don't have a huge sense of who Kenzie is outside of that. Right. Which, again, I think is part of the whole pilot plan, right? Right. I mean, the show is going to be about this character more than the other characters, so we'll give you a hint of who they are in Bo's world, but not fully fleshed out yet. Right. But we get we get Bo and Kenzie going to meet Siegfried in what looks like a, kind of an abandoned theater, maybe? Mm-hmm. And I really love, speaking of John Fawcett and his visual style, I love the camera shot they have of the snow falling down kind of directly at the camera as it moves toward finding Bo and Kenzie at the front door of this building. I think that's a beautiful shot. Yeah, I've always loved that shot, too. And I'm always like, knowing Toronto, I'm sure this isn't fake snow. <laughs> you no, know, that, that, that's, that's another one of those episodes where you're like, oh, man, I bet they were freezing their ass off. But you see it with a lot of Torontonian shot shows. You're like, yep, this was filmed in the dead of winter when they're trucking through, you know, six inches. You know, at the at the theater, at their meetup, we get, so far, Lost Girl's only vampire, Siegfried. Who I actually really love. I love Siegfried. Me too. Because <laughs> this show started kind of after the whole Twilight craze came out, right? And so I feel like the show is just like, okay, we'll give you a vampire. But he's going to be the exact opposite of those damn Twilight vampires. Who <laughs> Thank are, God. Are, you know, who are very, like, beautiful and and, and slim and, and sexy and et cetera, et cetera. And we get Siegfried. Sparkly. Sparkly. Ugh. Uh, but instead we get Siegfried, who's kind of chubby, kind of fey, you know? <laughs> and I just, I think he's delightful. I love Siegfried. He is pretty delightful. Big props for me to that actor, Jeffrey R. Smith. I've seen him in a couple of things, including an episode of Wonderfalls, and I, and I really like him. I think he's really good. Who was he on Wonderfalls? He was the security guard. Oh! Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell it's the same guy, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. I love yeah. Wonderfalls. Oh, Wonderfalls is great. Well, Kenzie and um, Kenzie and Bo's meeting with with Siegfried is really what is the spark for the main plot in this episode. Obviously, she she gets the information about Luan Heidegger knowing something about her mother. And this was another thing that I noticed is sort of inconsistent when I was watching, and I didn't know that this was the pilot. Was that Bo's like drive to find her mother seems a whole lot stronger in this episode to me than it did in, in previous ones. Did y'all have that impression too? Or was that, or was I unique in that? But, but really Bo is overall more intense in this episode yeah. than we really see her in any other episodes. So yeah, it's not just trying to solve a case. That Bo is much darker. The thing that really gets me is when we see her in the, when she first goes to the prison and she's going through the security checkpoint and she's kind of, you know, flirting with the guard and applying the tingly touch 
And then she stands up and her face immediately just goes intense and focused. And I feel like the bow that we see in the episodes surrounding that one, she would not be quite that intense and focused and dark. There wouldn't be that switch the way that we see in this episode. Right. Bo's a lot colder in this episode yeah. than any other. Yeah. Which I'm glad they changed. Me too. I, I like that they lightened her up and made her a bit warmer and funnier. Uh, yeah, I'm glad they changed the intensity and she has more of the light moments with Kenzie and just her humor in episodes before and after this. So, yeah, because if we'd had, quote unquote, a dark bow all the time where she's moodier or, or that intense, I, I don't think we would have liked the character as much. Right. I do feel it makes Bo more unique to actually give her that warmth because I feel too often they, they want to go for this kind of character, the sort of seemingly cold character. Badass, leather-clad right. chick. Yeah. That's the badass uh, you know trope that you usually get. But one of the things that audiences love about Bo throughout the series is her vulnerability and her very uh, soft spot for humanity and the human side of herself. Exactly. But I actually was, in watching this episode this time, I was really paying attention to see if they managed to cover kind of the important parts that you needed to know to, to watch the series. And they really do. And I think they actually do it pretty subtly so that it doesn't feel like heavy exposition. Because they get across that Bo is neither light nor dark, but they don't tell you that until like halfway through the episode. They tell you that Kenzie's human, that Lauren's human, and they, they actually do a pretty good job of giving you the the basic points of what you need to know about all the characters and sort of Bo's position in the Fae world. But yeah, I agree. Like, you, you, I don't know that this would have been a fantastic... Well, it, it, it's, it could be a little confusing, I think, because they do it so subtly if this had, yeah. had been the first episode of the series. Yeah, I agree. Right. As we've talked about, I mean, I feel like it would be a really good episode to sell it right, as a series, which, of course, is what it was used for. Right. But yeah, it's it's not a great introduction to the world at large. Well, I would describe it as if I was going to show Lost Girl to my friends, I would, you know, maybe pick It's a Fae, 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 Fae world and then show them Vexed or even vice versa, just to draw them in, as you say, and then kind of answer any questions they have later and explain it. I'd be like, look, just watch. The sex scenes are great. And the acting <laughs> is good, too. The acting is good, too. They have chemistry. They all have chemistry. Because that is one thing that this this episode has on uh, over the first episode is there's way more sex. <laughs> sex and sex and sex. Yes. Getting back to the, the Luann Heidegger thread of this story, I really think is is quite fantastic. You And it's it's pretty intense, we find out, that this woman has been so horribly persecuted by the by the dark fae because she essentially chose humans over them. And and that was one thing. I feel like this episode in contrast to the first episode really focuses more on that aspect sort of the hu fae human divide whereas the first one is more focused on the light dark divide. We get some of that in this episode too, but there's a really strong element of fae versus humans in this episode and the fact that Bo is clearly so friendly with humans is uncommon. Mhm. Here's another pilot inconsistency, though. When Bo shows up at the jail to visit Luann, she knows she's Faye. Like, she just knows. Suddenly she has Faye-sensing abilities, and we don't see her have those type of capabilities before or after. So with the, the Luann storyline, I feel like it's a really great demonstration of Bo's idealism. And, you know, this idea that this woman being put on trial and killed for something she didn't do. That something she, you know, she was framed in doing is wrong, and why won't somebody step in? Plus, there's the whole other layer of Bo identifying with Luann. Exactly. Which they're not subtle about at all. No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just think that the, the storyline with Luann is a great one to really show that aspect of Bo's personality. And then, of course, it, it ends in this very mysterious way with, with Trick saving her from execution and... We learn in the subsequent episode, putting her into hiding. And I know that this is a big question that a lot of people have, wondering if we'll ever hear of Luann Heidegger again, since it was sort of this this big dun-dun-dun moment when we see that Trick saves her. But we don't actually, we haven't seen her since. Season five would be a good opportunity for them to do that. So all of this digging into Luann's case really seems to to get her some into some trouble with the Dark Fae. They, I believe it's implied that the Dark Fae send... Well, first they send Vex after 
Siegfried. And, you know, that's a heck of an introduction to a character where we get to see him. Or Siegfried. I know, where we, where we see him I put his, his hand down a garbage disposal. Though I'm actually, so, so Chris has her issues with the Morrigan when she was first introduced. I have my issues with Vex. I really did not like Vex at all for the first probably season and a half. And not because he was a villain. I get that he's supposed to be a villain and a bad guy, but he was just way too over the top for me and I just didn't like it. <laughs> See, I liked it. I thought it was I thought it had that sense of fun and you know, I didn't think it was too over the top for me. I liked it was a good balance to Bo's intensity because she was trying to just get the information out of him and be straight with him and he's just toying with her, you know, because he knows he's more powerful than her. So I didn't have too much of a problem with it. I don't know. I guess I maybe had less of a problem with Vex's over-the-topness than the Morrigans for some reason. I don't know why. Fair enough. I'm not a fan of Vex in this episode, but I know that I'm I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people just love, love, love Vex from the beginning. Well, regardless, I still love the kind of almost poetic way he dispels a Siegfried with the music and, you know. And I hate the opera music. It's so trite. It's Carmen. I, I love Carmen. I love that opera, so. No, I like the music, but I don't like its use. It's just so trite to put, like, well, we're going to put this really melodramatic opera music over somebody doing something so cold and psychopathic. Yes, it's a trope, I know, but I thought it worked. So we so we have the conversation between Siegfried and Vex, and then later we have the conversation between Bo and the Morag. And that is probably my favorite fight scene of the entire series, is oh. between Bo and the Morag. Interesting. I love it so. I don't know. Morag is kind of eh and ugly. Because the, well, yeah, the Morag has great makeup. She's like really fierce and threatening looking. I love it when she gets impaled through the middle and she's just like, Psh, please, and starts to pull it out. <laughs> it's, she kind of reminds me a bit of Helena. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Nowadays, she reminds me a bit of Helena. It's like, Ugh, whatever, I'm good. <laughs> But no, I think that I like that fight scene a whole lot. I think it's really nicely choreographed and and like I'm worried for Bo in in that mm-hmm. fight scene. I actually like how they start that too, where the the Morag comes into the the clubhouse and Kenzie kind of hears something mm-hmm. and turns and like you see her turn to her left and over her right shoulder it's the Morag creeping up the stairs. I like that shot. Yeah, and I like that you're first kind of worried about Kenzie and then she just walks right past her. There's really a lot of, I think, good suspense building before this fight, which is probably another reason why I like it. Because then we see over Bo's shoulder, we see her creeping in. But Bo, unlike Kenzie, is like, somebody's totally there. But when she whips around, she's not there anymore. And then the shower curtain comes down over her. And I think it's fantastic. It's a great visual. And I just really love the suspense mm-hmm. that's built to get to that moment. Yep, I agree. Well, and I love how they bring it back later because they, you know, have consistency in the writing where... Later in season three, when Bo stands up with the dagger, and Tamsin's like, what's what's up with that? She goes, well, I had a morag coming here a few years ago. You know, she doesn't bathe unarmed anymore. Well, she didn't bathe unarmed then either. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Whenever she stands up, though, with her fingers, her two fingers around the blade of the knife, I'm like, should you hold a knife like that? Like, I can, I can get it because you would get more power behind a stabbing motion holding it that way, but I feel like you'd just injure yourself really badly. I guess it depends on how much of the blade is sharpened. I think it's just the whole thing where the way people shoot guns in movies, it's really BS if you try to shoot it like that in real life with, you know, two guns in each hand, each hitting a perfect target. We're like, no, nah, we're going to hold the knife like this because it looks cool. Not because it would necessarily make the greatest fighting stance. I know, Annie, I was just doing my, my thing where I make up something oh, okay. uh, in order to rationalize it. But actually, I'd be curious because I know nothing about handling knives or using knives or fighting with knives. So if anybody listening does and can tell me if the way that Bo was holding that knife was completely wrong, I'd be very curious to know. And Bo probably wears my favorite Bo outfit ever during that fight Nothing? Scene. No! She's wearing <laughs> she's wearing a, like a purple strappy tank top and undies, and then she puts her kimono on, and I think she looks really beautiful in those in those shots. And she's wearing clothes in that scene. What are you talking about, Annie? <laughs> I'm just kidding. When she initially got out of the bath. No, she's not naked at all. Oh. She was getting undressed. 
I also do really like that shot where she does a little shimmy to get her jeans off. <laughs> <laughs> but see, Annie, that's why you don't know the, that's why you're not more familiar with the scene is exactly. because she was in fact dressed. Okay. <laughs> My mind goes to other places. What a shocker. In this rewatch, I, cause we had talked about brands recently, brands on, on Faye, that the Morag actually does have a tattoo down her face. And I don't know if that's supposed to be a light or dark Faye brand. They don't say. But since we had talked about that recently, I was reminded of that when watching the, the episode this time. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious because the, the tattoo down Dyson's back is like kings he served and battles he'd fought in and things like that. I kind of wonder if that might be something similar that's on yeah. the Morag's face. Like, you know, people she's killed, maybe. <laughs> well, and I always wonder if the brands are subsequent to each type of Faye. Like... There's a shifter type of brand, and then there's a morag type of brand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That means a different thing. Oh, I also liked. It occurred to me that we see Kenzie has Geraldine in this episode because she used she tries to use it against the morag, and I like that they they decided to go back and show Kenzie actually acquiring Geraldine when they wrote the or- earlier episodes. Yeah, I have to go back and watch that scene because it became. I love that they never forgot Geraldine, and it became really important at the end of season four. I just love that it's named Geraldine. I know. <laughs> no, this old lady name for a katana. <laughs> I know. Which I didn't always pick up on, even until like season three. She's like, sorry, I forgot Geraldine. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the name of the katana. And the fight scene with the Morag there is intercutting between that fight scene and Kenzie playing a really violent video game. Where supposedly she's killing robot hookers. Robot hookers. And I actually have a really difficult time watching the video game sequences. (laughs) Sorry. I find them very disturbing. Not that I don't find the violence happening with Bo disturbing as well, but it's just, it's different to me because of how many women are just killed and used as sex objects in video games. And so I was wondering if you two had any thoughts as to why they decided to intercut those, those two things. I I don't know. I mean, I've thought about it some before too, because yeah, the that kind of video game drives me crazy. The fact that they're rampantly popular, which I guess is my only thought of why they even use that in this, because I, I guess maybe it is part of really emphasizing that Kenzie's just a regular kid on some level, you know? Right. Because all the youngsters play that kind of video game, you know? Not all of them. I know not all of them don't don't send me angry tweets or anything. <laughs> But yeah, I just find that really interesting because this this show de- does tend to be fairly feminist minded, especially the the first couple of seasons. I feel like, and the fact that they use that really violent the game that's really violent toward women in in this way in this episode, I find intriguing. And if they had a a bigger reason for for using that particular type of game, I like your idea though, Chris, to show that Kenzie's like a really regular person. But I feel like there's also this interesting contrast where. You know, this is kind of fun for Kenzie shooting these fake robot hookers, but when she realizes that Bo is really in trouble, like, that's a very serious situation for her. I don't know, maybe there's something having to do with that as well. And while, and, yeah. and Kenzie's effing brave, can we say that? Like, running up yeah. to go help Bo when she has no idea what's up there. Kenzie's like, hang very on, brave. Let me grab my sword. Yeah. yeah. Tiny She's human Kenzie. She's always been that. Brave and loyal. Yeah. So kudos to Kenzie. We love Kenzie. Woohoo! So after the Morag attack, there's that scene where Bo- where Dyson comes over and tries to be all, Bo, you have to join aside so that you'll be protected. And then he makes that comment about about how, you know, you can stay with me tonight. You need more healing than Lauren's little needles can provide. And I love Kinsey in the scene because when Dyson says that, she just has this like, dude, no reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and me, I'm going, dude, no. <laughs> Don't say anything against Dr. Hot Pants. She's really helping. <laughs> but what? I was I was wondering though, like, is does the little needles line is that is that the equivalent of, of Dyson saying that Lauren has a small dick? I just thought it was an insult. But yeah, is that you what could he's put it kind of way. getting at since he's since she is his sexual rival? Is that kind of what he's getting at there? I don't think that's not what he means. Okay. True. Okay. It's definitely a double entendre, but I just As a Hot Pants fan, I'm like, stop insulting her, Dyson. But, you know, they're still rivals at that point, so I can see why he says that. But still, 
My feathers get a little ruffled every time I hear that line. Well, Lauren... Really? You're protective of Lauren? Lauren Shut up. takes a dig at Dyson earlier in the episode and mentions him yep. being well-traveled. And I'm like, Lauren, do not slut-shame Dyson. <laughs> I feel like Dyson, he, he gets some digs taken at him by both Bo and Lauren that I'm kind of like, no, ladies, that's not nice. Because Bo says he's acting like such a girl early in the episode, and I don't like when she says that. Like, you make that sound like it's a bad thing. For men to have emotions, Bo. Men can have emotions. Yep. So Annie's gotten quiet because she's just like, are we going to talk about Lauren now? Are we going to talk about Lauren now? Are we going to talk about Lauren now? <laughs> are we, Stephanie? Are we? But yes, we are going to talk about Lauren now. So so Lauren, I feel like, actually gets a pretty good subplot in this episode. Maybe even better than Dyson's is. And this leads to you know, a pretty critical moment for, for Bo and Lauren and their relationship. So this is a big episode for Lauren, I feel like. I agree. And I think we also get a really interesting sense of what Lauren's relationship is like in the Fae for the first time. Because not only do we learn from Trick that, you know, Lauren is not a employed by the Ash, she is owned by him. That's huge. We also see where Bo goes to visit the Ash to ask him to intervene with Luann, Lauren waits. Bo just storms out. Lauren waits until the Ash, like, waves her out. Dismisses her. Yeah. We never see him imprison Lauren the way that Lachlan does. We still get a sense of how much he controls her. Well, I, I always thought it was because she'd been under his control for so long that she had been conditioned by that point. Because she knew about the consequences that she had potentially faced earlier, whether it's physical or mental, potentially abuse or... Just uh, conditioning. That was always my mindset as to why she's so obedient at the beginning of the series. And why she's so shocked about Bo constantly going outside the lines and the rules of the Fae. And so later in the episode where Lauren is talking to the Ash and the Ash, well, he first like reveals, I know you've been working with Bo. That's okay. Again, sort of like asserting his, his knowledge and control of her. And then tells her to go distract Bo. Chris actually pointed out that he reveals the fact who Vex is, all this stuff to Lauren. And Chris had some thoughts about maybe the significance of that. Yes, I have a theory that I'm going to pose as a question to you. Because he does tell her about Vex. And, like, why would he tell her about Vex, right? There's no reason to. She's under his his control, essentially. So if he says, go, go babysit Bo and keep her out of the way... And he, I mean, he could have even given vague details, right? About there's some some fae who's a favorite of the Dark Elders, and he's too dangerous, and keep her out of the way. But no, he gives her details. He's like, his name is Vex, and all this sort of thing, and then sends her to Bo. And so why would he give her that information? So Lauren had no idea who it was before the Ash told her. It didn't seem like it, because he... He explicitly laid out who Vex was. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, there's a favorite of the Dark Elders. His name is Vex. And, I mean, we know from later episodes that Batman Ash is pretty manipulative. Yeah. So here's my question I'm posing to you guys. Do we think it's possible that the Ash wanted Lauren to spill all this info to Bo? I think it's a possibility now that you bring it up. Because here's the thing about... Lauren. Lauren is secretive, but she's honest. Yeah. Yeah. Too so, honest. She's always too honest in that scene with Bo. So again, why would why would the Ash tell her this information that he doesn't need to tell her? Yeah. Unless he wanted her to tell Bo for some reason. I think he was counting on her honesty. I really like that possibility. And it actually makes a whole lot of sense to me in regards to what we learn about that Ash subsequently. I like that possibility that he wanted to maybe use Bo, manipulate Bo into taking out Vex for him. Mm, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting at here, yeah. yeah. Because he's, you know, Vex is obviously a very powerful fae. And maybe even he wanted to, even though he says he doesn't want to start incite anything with the dark, maybe secretly he does, but he doesn't want to do it in his name. He just wants to, to start some trouble, but not have it be traced back to him so that he can come out looking like a good guy. Yeah. Plus, there's this ongoing thing about how they may need to take out Bo. So to him, it's probably also not a big loss if Bo gets taken out. Yeah. 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 So I yeah. like that theory a lot, Chris. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> 
I feel vindicated. You know, the 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 Ash tells Lauren to go and distract Bo so that she doesn't incite problems, essentially. And I feel like, you know, this is this puts Lauren in a really tough position. And I personally, I've always felt like in watching that episode, Lauren seemed very conflicted about it because I think she was genuinely attracted to Bo and wanted to protect her, wanted her to not go after Vex and get herself hurt. But at the same time, I don't think she felt entirely comfortable with the fact that she was there essentially because the Ash told her to be. Right. I agree. Me too. I don't know. I love that shot where after the Ash tells her, you know, keep Bo distracted, and then the camera just zooms in on Lauren, you can see her conflict there. I don't love the wardrobe there, because... She is wearing a very not flattering piece of wardrobe in this episode. No. It is very true. Yes. <laughs> it looks better when she takes the jacket off. And yes. <laughs> and everything else off. But yeah, for <laughs> pilot errors, no, that wardrobe, cuck. So yeah. It's like Lauren's safari business suit or something. <laughs> yes. It's her safari business wear. <laughs> it's the worst business suit I've ever seen. Yes. <sighs> Anyway, I had to bring up the wardrobe. I'm sorry. But yes, I, I do love the conflict, which is brought up later when uh, in subsequent episodes when she says to Bo, don't you think we were headed in that direction anyway? Meaning our attraction. But she has to do her, carry out her duty to the Ash at the same time. You know, really her orders you know, under who knows what threat. Yeah, I know that there are some people who feel like Lauren had absolutely no choice in this matter because she was owned by the Ash. She had to do it. And... I, I don't really agree with that necessarily because I, her, it's not like her necklace was, was an electric collar or something. Like she'd get zapped if she didn't do exactly what the Ash told her. I feel like she had to go for sure. She had to at least go to Bo and try. Otherwise she would have gotten in trouble with the Ash. But I don't know that I necessarily feel like she had to sleep, to sleep with Bo. She had no choice in the matter because the Ash told her to. What do y'all think? Yeah. I still think she made that decision herself. Oh yeah. Me too. I think that's true. But I think her going to Bo to at least talk to her and try to distract her was uh, under the Ash's order. I agree. And it does seem to me like she really made the decision to to sleep with Bo as they're having the discussion. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see something in Lauren's demeanor change before she thought, I, I need to put my face on your face. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was really what Bo was talking about, why she wanted to help Luann. Was that, you know, she really related to Luann, and if Luann couldn't carve this life for herself that she wanted, who would ever be willing to do, do the same with to Bo? To share with her. Yeah. I, I, that was what I felt like really clicked for Lauren, this idea that Bo wanted this normal thing, something that maybe Lauren could picture having with Bo. And, and that was really what sort of clicked and said, I'm just going to go for this. And that Lauren had the side of herself going, well, yeah, I'd like that too. I'd like a normal life if I wasn't under the ashes thumb. They had already had their attraction building, so she could picture it with Bo. And again, if your goal was to keep somebody preoccupied for a few hours, I doubt that you would be going for your own shirt buttons that fast. Yeah, yeah. she goes after those shirt buttons pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, you know, the line that I'm sure a lot of people debate is, you know, when Bo says, I don't want to hurt you, and Lauren says, I trust you. Well, is she... You know, saying that she really trusts her, or is it more of an act brought on by her orders from the Ash? And I do think that's Lauren speaking. Well, because they had that whole conversation earlier in the episode about, you know, whether or not Bo was ready to try try having sex with humans. So, since Lauren was encouraging her to, mm -hmm. and Bo was hesitant and clearly talking about Lauren. Yes. <laughs> I think it'd be good for all involved if we just took things slow. <coughs> I want to be careful about putting my face on your face. <laughs> but I do want to put my face on your face. <laughs> my face will be on your face, but only when it's safe for my face to be on your face. What? <laughs> it's too many faces. <sighs> it's only two faces, Annie. I know. So, on the face on her face scene... The actual scene, I think, is shot really beautifully, and it is such a contrast with the beginning of the episode with Bo and Dyson. And that's that's what makes me appreciate both scenes. And that's what, I think, that sets up the context of the show, that Bo is in between these two, you know, people who 
are in conflict with each other. You know, Lauren has a dig at Dyson and vice versa. But that show the different sides of her, you know, of her life. Is she going to be a fae and just heal with Dyson or develop a more emotional relationship with him? Or will she, you know, equate with her human side? And I think, especially the way the series has developed and the way the, you know, of course, this is the beginning of the triangle, the way that's developed now in the fourth season, that it's really come to a good point. Yeah, I really love that first docubussy sexy scene. I like protective, gentle bow. Yeah, And the, the, the kissing... And more scenes is is set to a song called Mad Men by Claire Klein. Again, another big song that a lot of people just really, really love. A big music moment from the series that a lot of fans really love. It's always the sex scenes. I know, mm-hmm. I know. They use great music for the sex scenes. They it's do. honestly it's honestly a really smart, you know, thing to do. So Yeah, they do really choose. Don't choose use good crappy ones. music for your sex scenes, people. Use good music. <laughs> But going back to the contrast between the scene with Bo and Dyson and the scene with Lauren, I did see somebody on Twitter, this was a while ago, who was clearly going going through and watching the series for the first time. And, you know, this person said, you know, it's great to see Lost Girl having a, a, a couple who's two females, but it's kind of frustrating that it falls into this usual trope of men and women having sort of more aggressive sex, whereas two women having sex is, is automatically going to be all gentle, etc., etc. And, and that's a fair that's a fair critique, but I feel like it actually works in this episode to really show the different places that these couples are in their relationships. And and as we know, Bo goes on and has like more tender sex with men and rougher sex with women, etc., more aggressive sex with women. But here, you know, we have Bo and Dyson where it's all about the sex. It's, there's not really a lot of whole intimacy going on in that first, first sequence. And then we have Bo and Lauren, where it's like all about the in- intimacy, and it's Lauren and Bo both sort of taking a big risk, really, and, and being vulnerable because, you know, Bo could hurt Lauren, Lauren could be hurt by Bo because of her not feeling comfortable and controlling her abilities. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, that's come to my mind before, but about, you know, the typicality of the sex scenes. But I, that's the great thing about the series is how even the sex scenes develop where Lauren and Bo later in their relationship have really, you know, more wild sex scenes, more elongated sex scenes. And there are times when Dyson and Bo really connect. So yeah, I really like that. And I, I like that the sex scenes are not, they're part of the plot. It's not just sex for sex sake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most of the time on Lost Girl. So. The show takes such pride in a bisexual succubus character. Yeah, I was going to say that that is actually, in this episode, I I feel like is a good demonstration of how the show treats its sex scenes, because it is, they're hot and everything, but it's not just about that. Like, it's got an actual place in the plot, you know, because it is, the the Dyson and Bo scene is about the fact that Bo is desperate and needs... To heal, there's a sense of urgency there, and the emotional turmoil and everything, and all that plays out through the scene. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Bo and Lauren scene, which is all about how they've had this sort of emotional connection and everything. And so then there's the aftermath of the sexy scene, and it <gasps> just kills oh, me. <laughs> sorry, it's Not such sorry. a brutal scene. It's so hard. Because, you know, Bo, with her over-relating with people, you know, pulls off her necklace while they're while they're doing their thing and says, you know, nobody owns you. And then, oh, and then when she throws it back at her and says, don't forget your dog collar, it just, like, it hurts me physically. <sighs> Lauren, why do you have to be so honest? <sighs> you know, I don't blame Bo for taking so long subsequently in episodes to get over that. Yeah, and I also think, going back to the whole more aggressive sex versus the more intimate sex. I feel like Bo took this especially personally because it wasn't yes. just kind of a wham bam thank you man thing. It wasn't type of just healing. Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. They did go through extra lengths to sort of have the sweet aftermath scene too mm-hmm. where Bo's getting dressed and is all sort of sweet and mm-hmm. everything with Lauren and gives her the little kiss and Yeah. When Lauren seems kind of troubled, Bo sort of, you know, puts her hand on her leg and What's wrong? And all that sort of thing. I know. I bet, again, <laughs> As Annie it's, swoons. It's like, 
<sighs> Lauren, you didn't have to be so brutally honest at that point. She could have done a better job in steering the conversation away and not mentioning Vex, but it really sh- I mean, Bo is so hurt she can't see past that point of how much Lauren cares about her still. You know, she says, Vex is too strong, he'll kill you. And, of course, Bo says you know his name, but that's really coming from Lauren's genuine concern of she doesn't want this person she really cares about to be killed. So, Yeah, I think... I really do think Lauren Lauren made a bad. You know, she has that that line about I haven't done anything wrong. And so I can see where Lauren is come from coming from. She feels like she acted in Bo's best interest because she cared about mm-hmm. Bo. She didn't want her to be hurt. She thought this was a way to help her. So I can kind of get where Lauren is coming from, but at the same but time But that's still not true. Exactly. But but at the same time it's like yeah. no Lauren this this was a real violation of trust here. You you did do something wrong. Yeah. You went about it the wrong way. Yeah. I always wonder what Lauren did afterwards. It's like, oh, just let the pink sheets go and just sadly get dressed and leave. You know, must have been such a bummer. So it's like everybody goes. Well, she oh. went to go get Dyson to tell him. Yeah, Mr. she went to go get Dyson. But yeah, I do like that that she was still so concerned. She went to go to the one person who could help Bo, since she physically can't help Bo against Vex. That scene where she goes and she gets Dyson and and Kenzie. It's always interesting to me because Dyson and Kenzie really only exchange about a couple of sentences there where they're playing pool. But I felt I feel like you can immediately still see the friendship that's there between the two mm-hmm. of them. And mm-hmm. given you know if they if the this was the pilot that was all we would have seen of Dyson and Kenzie interacting, we still would have gotten the sense I think that oh they're butts. Mm-hmm. So credit to Chris and and Ksenia for that. Yeah. As of you still would have gotten the sense that. Dyson and Lauren are adversaries at this point, even with just a few lines here and there. Yeah, And it's always so sad to me to see Lauren have to go to Dyson because she clearly is just like, I failed at what I was trying to do and I can't, there's nothing left for me to do at this point. I don't necessarily want to go to this person, but I will. In the meantime, as I I mentioned, Bo storms storms off to Meyer and in the process changes her hair. <laughs> and can I just say how much I love Meyer? He's a great character. And I love his set, especially in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's lit a little more darkly than it was in, in Dead Lucky. And so the red lighting, the lanterns and the red twinkly lights really pop in his set. And I just think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I really like what, what, what he says to her. This is actually in their first interaction where she goes to ask him for help with Luann and he's all, you know, not even, I'm not even too good with death row. And she's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about already. And he tells her, sweetheart, you're not so good with subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. I think that's a great line. (laughs) It's so true. Not when Bo goes busting across Faye lines as the great unaligned succubus. And I actually really think it's important that they had Meyer in this episode alongside Vex because you get the sense that not all dark fae are that bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even the ones yeah. who are still like involved in the dark fae clan. Because Luann is also dark fae, but she's separated herself. But Meyer clearly still a big big part of the system. But he's, I think, fairly compassionate and kindly toward Bo in this episode. Right. But as you mentioned, if this was the first episode we watched, it'd be kind of di- interesting. Because it's got a reference to Dead Lucky. But if you watch Vexed first, it'd be a little confusing about Meyer popping in and why he owed Bo a favor. So the the final confrontation between Bo and Vex, I feel like is kind of a letdown, which is actually another reason why I kind of am glad that they made the first episode, because there Bo gets to be kind of like triumphant and beat somebody. But here she has this really psychological confrontation with Vex even though she's armed with the the Syracon that Trick gave her, she's not victorious. Dyson comes and pulls her off of, of Vex, essentially, which bugs me. I wish that it had yes. been Kenzie who had talked her down or something like that. Yeah. I don't like that Dyson comes and pulls her off of Vex. It's like you need another guy to, to come in and save you and pull you away from the victory you could have had. Yeah, it's like, I know it's written that way to keep Vex in as a villain, but yeah, that, that has always bugged me for those reasons, too. It's very uh, unfulfilled. Yeah. But I see why it would have to be Dyson from a story standpoint, because if it's Kenzie, then, you know, what's it matter to Vex? Vex can just off Kenzie if he wanted yeah. to. Yeah. I She's know. just a lowly human. Well, but they're both there. Dyson could have been there, but I kind of wish it had been Kenzie who, like, talked Bo out of trying to kill him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, okay. kind of like fair. how she helped Bo in the 
first episode from right. getting killed. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the sequence where Bo is arming herself and you see her arsenal for the first time. I mean, it's it's beautiful and she loads up her stars and her knives and the crossbow and the Syracon and then she hardly uses any of it. And I'm like, yeah. dang it, you know? And you don't see her subsequently use a lot of... I mean, it depends. Second season, you know, it depends. You don't always see her with as much weaponry uh, later in the series, so that's always cool to... I just like the sequence. It's really well put together. As yeah. you say, a lot of intercutting. And you get to see the whole weapons chest. And I'm reminded of the story that Anna Silk has told where, you know, she said it took a long time to look that badass because then when she was walking, the crossbow would hit her in the back of the head. In so the she head, goes, yeah. It didn't really work. <laughs> Well, because I think the story was that they tried all the individual things and everything individually worked out fine. But when she put it all on together, yeah. <laughs> like stuff just kept knocking Fly around. Off. <laughs> so I think of that because that shot is used in the credits where it zooms in on Bo with the crossbow and that dra- little dramatic head turn. And I, every time I see it, I'm just like thinking of the crossbow hitting Anna in the head. And I just start to giggle. Yep. But yeah, that is a really good sequence. It's a very Buffy sequence. I remember yes. it reminded me a lot of, of especially end of the season Buffy where she's gearing up to go into battle against a bunch mm-hmm. of creatures and like it, it reminded me a lot of that yeah right but you were talking about the intercutting earlier and it's so interesting to me the way they did this because they intercut Bo you know strapping the various weapons holsters on with Luann getting strapped into the mm-hmm. um the table the the right the table with yeah. the lethal injection stuff it's it's pretty dark yeah. 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 And and again, you know, they they'd really parallel Bo and Lu- Luann's situations a lot in this in this episode. So I was kind of wondering like what what do they mean exactly by by intercutting these two? I mean, I guess maybe it's ho- I'm ho- hopefully it's saying Bo's going to have a different fate than Luann because Bo is able to fight better. But yeah, it's it's a very dark combination right there. Well, and there's the whole talk about how Bo might get herself killed. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Row. I got I got that level for sure. But then I was trying to think like, well, eh, maybe there's something hopeful here too. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, and to this day, even I wonder what Bo's ultimate fate will be about choosing to have Lauren in her life. Will it be something like Luann's fate, where the fate will turn against her? Well, but don't you think the storyline we're currently on is about Bo overturning the system? Yeah. Because Luann's problem is with the system, essentially. Yeah. That's always been the big issue here. But yeah, Bo's whole confrontation with Vex, again, just very sort of anticlimactic and disappointing for me. And I just don't feel like Bo is left with a whole lot of autonomy with this in this episode, which kind of gets me down. Mm-hmm. Well, she's not left with any answers, either. So that's frustrating for yeah. her. But oh, the rest and of the Dyson has to build makes that, that comment because he says she's think she's like, oh, he was my last lead to, to my mother, and Dyson says he doesn't. He was lying. He doesn't know anything about your mother. Nobody does. I'm like Dyson, you big liar face. You do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Poor Bo just can't have a romantic interest who will completely be honest with her all the time. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's the hallmark of the series. our thoughts about Vexed, the the actual pilot slash eighth episode of the series. I'm sorry they were a little disjointed and all over the place, but hopefully they were at least a little entertaining. Annie made me take out some really good stuff, y'all, and I'm upset. Hey, at my request, <laughs> I still have some editorial uh, control over my own silliness. But we are coming up on doing a kind of a crazy, exciting undertaking. We're doing a Lost Girl meme, 30 Days of Lost Girl, starting August 1st, which means we're going to be putting out daily episodes. They will obviously be much shorter than our usual episodes. They're probably going to be at most about 10 minutes. And there's more information about those questions. We'd love to have you answer them along with us. You can find those questions and more info at drinksatthedoll.com. Stephanie has lost her mind. I know. I Yes, you realize you are bringing this upon yourself. I know. I admit this. I am fully okay. aware. Will you remember in 30 days? <laughs> that is a good question. It's possible I won't. So you're getting this on recording, which is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know your thoughts about Vexed. 
You can tell me about how Vexed is the greatest and I'm crazy that I don't like him. That's fine. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinkswiththedoll.com slash 61. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinkswiththedoll.com or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right hand side of the website. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I laugh so hard my nose is still running, but it's probably <laughs> going to be from something that got taken out of the episode. And my name is Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. You notice that I am not commenting much on this part of the episode. It's because I haven't watched it in a while and I ran out of time to watch it. And it's obvious which parts of the episode I remember and which ones I don't. Any, I wonder which for this parts episode, you remember, Annie will Annie. only comment on the sex scenes. <laughs>